I'm Eric. I'm Lucas. And we are the Modern Agronomists. We are putting a modern spin on an old industry. Welcome back. Today we have Grant Kemick with us from Winfield United. Uh, Grant is a rep of ours, um, representing the Cropland seed lineup, along with um, chemicals and some other stuff with Winfield. Thanks for coming today, Grant. Why don't you give us a little introduction of yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I've been with Winfield United since about 2015. I was born and raised in southeastern Wisconsin on a small farm near Waupon. Uh, when I first started with Winfield, I was an intern. And uh, in southern Wisconsin, I had the opportunity to get involved with our plant nutrition products and our technology products. And then after college, Winfield hired me full-time. I did a year out in Idaho and then a year in the great state of Iowa. And I've been working here in southern Wisconsin since about the end of 2019. When you were out in Idaho, did you have specialty crops? Were you working with some potatoes or anything? Or Oh, yeah. Uh, potatoes was number one out there in Idaho. Um, the, the potato growers out there called themselves spudmen. And they took their profession very seriously. It was very interesting to work with them. A whole different world than I'm used to growing up here in Wisconsin. Uh, but they had a significant amount of potatoes. Sugar beets were very popular there with the sugar plant that was near where I lived. And then um, for their corn, about 90% of their corn was silage for the dairies out there. And tons of alfalfa being grown. Um, a lot of that alfalfa also being raised for uh, seed. Seed. Yep. Was a lot of that stuff under pivot? Yeah, absolutely. Everything was yeah. under a pivot. So you're farming in the in the high desert out there. So if it is, if it's not under a pivot, it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So today we kind of wanted to touch on some of the observations Grant's made comparing 2020 to 2021 and kind of discuss some of the yield differences and why there was some differences. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a pretty consistent testimony across southern Minnesota and southern Wisconsin that in the year 2021, we saw significantly higher yields than what we did back in 2020. I don't know. Have you guys been hearing that in the countryside as well? I would say in my geography, the yields were higher. Lucas's might be a little bit different, but my geography yields across the board were significantly higher than last year. Well, um, I know across southern, Min southern Minnesota and southern Wisconsin, um, many growers saw much higher yields. Um, and so we started to think about, okay, what's the reason behind some of this? And have been able to make some pretty interesting observations. I think it really starts with understanding the differences in 2020 and 2021 in our heat units and our overall precipitation. So in general, across the southern half of those two states, we saw higher growing degree days later in the season than what we did in 2020. So 2021, um, we didn't have quite as high of a peak in our heat units, so it didn't get quite as hot in about that mid-July time frame. But later in the season, um, in late August, early September, we had significantly higher heat units in 2021 than what we did in 2020. So a lot of that yield 
was likely made up then um, with these hybrids that had the right late season plant health being able to capitalize on some of that late season heat units that we saw. Um, along with that, in 2020, we had more of a, a peak in our precipitation in July, and then it quickly dropped off um, through August and into September. In 2021, we didn't get so much early season rains, and it started to take off in late July, and then through August, we had a lot more moisture. So a lot of the difference that we saw in our final yield was not so much just a difference in the overall number of kernels per uh, cob that we saw in corn, but we saw a lot of growers that had significantly larger kernels to make up that final yield. I think the way that we can understand this best is just knowing some, some real-life plant physiology. Uh, so a corn plant, when it hits the R5 growing stage, it still has 55% of that dry matter yield to fill in that kernel. So if you think of your R1 stage as you're silking, and then R2 is when you hit the blister stage, when you break open a kernel, there's a, a clear liquid that would come out. Um, R3 would then be the milk stage. You break open that kernel and there's this milky substance there. R4 is the dough stage. That grain is starting to harden up. And then R5 is your dent stage. And at the dent stage, at the time that that corn plant hits dent, you still have 55% of your dry matter yield to make up. This is according to Iowa State University and Purdue University. I think that's that's very interesting. I guess I probably didn't realize that, and I'm guessing a lot of growers probably are unaware of that too. I mean, that's a tremendous amount that you still got to make up in a short mm -hmm. amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so think about how that plays out then in our late season plant health. In order to fill that dry matter grain after R5, we have to be getting energy from somewhere in order to do that. Um, think about this. Once you've hit R2, the number of kernels that are fertilized is set. You're not going to be able to increase your row count anymore. You're not going to be able to increase the overall length of the cob anymore, it's set in stone. So all that you can do is impact the amount of energy that that plant is able to put into the kernels that are already there. And so um, late in the season, after that R5 time frame, we really have three sources that we would think, oh, this is where the plant could pull energy from. One would be the roots and the root zone. The other would be the stalk itself. And then the third one would be the leaves. Well, if you think, well, around that R5 time frame, I've already absorbed most of the nutrients that are in that root zone. And it's not so much functioning as uh, energy source for the plant anymore. Most of that has been depleted in the root zone. And so mostly just moisture is coming up through the roots. And then second, well, if I, if I just have my stock, if that's the only place that I'm pulling energy from, what's going to happen to that plant? It's going to self-cannibalize and it's going to get quite brittle. And then it's much more likely to have issues with standability late in the season. And so the energy that we can get from photosynthesis and from healthy 
leaves late in the season is going to be where we're going to make up most of that yield. And I think that the reason we saw more high yields in 2021 versus 2020 was because we had some guys that were capitalizing on that late season plant health and the higher late season heat units that we saw. So obviously, fungicide is probably a product of helping this out a lot, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, this all fits together with the, the fungicide piece because in order to keep your leaves healthy, you have to be able to protect them from diseases. And uh, Wisconsin, in general, tends to be a hotspot for a lot of different foliar diseases in corn. Uh, you think of gray leaf spot, you think of northern corn leaf blight, and now uh, you have tar spot, which is a major concern for a lot of farmers in southern Wisconsin. And so we want to protect those leaves as late in the season as we possibly can so that that plant is able to take advantage of that late season energy, that late season sunlight, and put that into filling grain. If your leaves are dead, uh, you're not going to be able to put enough energy into filling that grain and get as large of kernels as possible and capitalize on that yield. And right now, the best way that we know how to keep those leaves healthy late in the season is by utilizing a fungicide. My question to you is, and, you know, I guess let's just give a broad statement here. If you could protect one section of leaves or one leaf or any leaf, maybe tell us what, what section of the plant would you want to protect the most or, and what, what's maybe less vital? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So to think about that, technically the top leaves are going to be collecting the most sunlight and taking the most energy and putting it into grain fill late in the season. However, I don't want to overlook those lower leaves. And to get even more specific, our most important leaf on the plant is actually the ear leaf. Um, most, the, the leaf that puts the most energy into filling grain specifically is that ear leaf. So Winfield United actually conducted a, a study on this um, in our answer plot system where we had an intern go through into several different sections of an answer plot. And the way we conducted this study was focused on understanding plant physiology. Where is this energy coming from mostly in the plant? And so to isolate different areas, we um, removed the leaves in different sections of that plant at tassel time. So we had the intern go through at tassel time, and in one section, he would rip off all the leaves from the ear leaf up. So all your top leaves gone. The next section he went through and he would rip off all the leaves from the ear leaf down. So all your bottom leaves gone. Um, and then in the last two sections, there was an area where we left nothing but the um, ear leaf. So only the ear leaf was remaining. And uh, in the final section, we took all the leaves off and it was just the stalk, just to see how much energy we just get from the stalk itself. Surprisingly, um, well, I guess not so surprisingly, uh, the, the top leaves, 
that were remaining, the section where we only ripped off the bottom leaves, had the highest yield, telling us that most of that energy is coming from those top leaves. However, in the area where we left a check, where we didn't take off any of the leaves, compared to the area where we did rip off just those bottom leaves, there's a 45 bushel per acre yield difference. So we know that those top leaves are technically the most important, but we don't want to overlook those bottom leaves. And a lot of people think, well, those bottom leaves late in the season, they're being shaded out anyways, so they're pretty irrelevant. It doesn't matter if I'm keeping those healthy. When, as a matter of fact, when we did this trial, the difference of having those bottom leaves was 45 bushel. So those bottom leaves are not irrelevant. They're very important for us as well. And they do contribute to that overall final yield. I thought you said something interesting before too. I think, you know, that tar spot is kind of the, the naughty word that's getting all the attention nowadays. But you brought up the northern corn leaf blight, all these other diseases that we've had for how long mm-hmm. that we're almost forgetting about those and just worried about tar spot. And I think that's something that we've kind of been missing the last couple of years here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any disease in general is going to seek to destroy that plant leaf tissue and cause it to die off earlier than what it w- earlier than when it would come to physiological maturity and reach that black layer. And if that plant is dying off and um, desiccating before it reaches its natural maturity, we're losing yield. We're losing yield. And so um, tar spot has been a specific focus because of how rampant it is and uh, how quickly it can show up and the amount of damage it can do. But it doesn't mean that we should just focus on that one disease because there is a whole spectrum and several others that are seeking to rob us of yield. My question to you, and I'm going to see if I can word this right. If a grower had X amount of dollars to spend, and it was either nitrogen or fungicide, which one would you do first? And if would you do them both if you didn't? Would you do the fungicide if you skimped on the nitrogen? I mean, I would feel like I feel like they're kind of hand in hand. And you're talking about bottom leaves. We want to keep bottom leaves on. The only way we can do that is keeping the plant healthy and keeping it fed and not having these leaves fire up, have the plant cannibalize itself. I mean, I kind of asked a pretty wild question there, but <laughs> I mean, one one is probably more powerful than the other, and you need one to get the most out of the other, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question. I would say this. When we think about doing everything that we can to obtain yield late in the season, we don't want to just isolate it down to one decision. And we don't want to pit two good decisions and say, well, I'm going to choose one over the other. I think in general, of course, everyone's going to focus on managing their nitrogen first. That's an obvious go-to. But I wouldn't want to say, you know, choose to do that and then forget about you know, if you got this X amount of dollars to spend, um, I think what we should be focused on is how do I maximize the output of my corn crop and um, how do I make 
decisions profitably. Yep. And I think um, the the type of results that we saw last year did prove that fungicide is becoming increasingly more profitable for us. Um, and I think that we should be looking at our crop management as a whole system, picking the right seed, the right fertility program, the right weed control program, the right micronutrient program, the right plant health and disease protection program, and all of that stuff instead of just isolating it down to, you know, one or two things. I'm going to pick these and then forget about everything else. Yep. I think it's good to be more holistic. How much do you put into the variety itself when looking at some of this? Yeah, so um, what's interesting is increasingly more so um, each variety has very specific characteristics that should be considered when you make the decision of what to plant. Um, Winfield United does a significant amount of research on um, understanding what these characteristics are, specifically how does a corn hybrid respond to an environment where there's a high amount of nitrogen or a environment where there's a low amount of nitrogen. Um, same with fungicide. We've noticed that some of these hybrids tend to respond more highly to fungicide and others not quite as much. Um, so I think what you need to take into account when you're deciding deciding on your hybrid is first get a good idea of your um, operational practices and what kind of soil type this hybrid is going into. Um, are you going to be managing it well or is this a hybrid that likes a little bit of extra fertility? This a hybrid that needs to be um, paid a little closer attention to and you need to make sure you're giving it all the groceries or is this a hybrid that can handle, you know, you plant it in gravel and it'll grow just fine for you? Is this a hybrid that tends to um, really respond highly to fungicide? You know, some of the hybrids that we have, it'll be a difference of 15 to 25 bushel if you don't hit it with a fungicide. Basically, when you sell that hybrid or when a guy purchases that hybrid, he ought to be purchasing fungicide with it as well. And so um, a variety choice has a, a huge impact. I, I think it's so so unique how far we've come on varieties and that we can now get to that where we know, you know, through your guys' work with the answer plots, that really helps us out to make those decisions. How we can uh, pick those out has been pretty impressive. It just helps us position. Correct. Right? It, it's, uh, it's kind of a fail-safe to know, okay, we know how this hybrid behaves in this environment. This is what I sold. This is how you typically farm or your operation works. And we might have to change this to make this hybrid fit on your operation. Yeah, absolutely. I think understanding um, good sound data that comes out of things like the answer plot system tied to recommendations and personal observation, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it for a farmer where he can be confident, hey, I know exactly, I know this hybrid like I know my friends. I know exactly how it's going to behave when I put it in this environment, and that helps me management-wise management, management -wise to maximize the output that I get from it. Yeah. Looking forward to 
the 2022 growing so season here. Is there something that you're excited about that you've got your eye on that maybe we learned you learned from last year that you're looking at implementing into this next year? Yeah, there there's a lot of things that we can be looking forward to and excited about. There's a whole lot of new types of um, products that are coming forward into the marketplace, uh, new types of seed treatments that are trying to address early season diseases, um, all sorts of inferral products. You know, we've heard about inferral fungicides and um, inferral products that help corn fix its own nitrogen and all sorts of cool stuff. I'm excited to see more results on going from that. More practically, I'm really excited about um, some of the new data that's coming out of the answer plot system where we're really isolating how uh, a hybrid specifically responds to um, varying levels of nitrogen combined with a fungicide application instead of uh, having them isolated from one another. Um, As uh, agronomy marches forward, we just have more and more information that we can utilize to manage our hybrids better. And so every year is an opportunity to learn and to see new things. Um, New traits are coming out. That also makes me excited. And so um, by the end of the season, we'll have more data on a lot of those new things. And I look forward to it. The list is never ending. That's right. Products, which is a fun thing. I mean, it's fun for us to work with a multitude of products and we get to learn through trials and tribulations and then apply it to the following year. Absolutely. And it's never changing in what products and technologies are coming forward. And it's every year the environment is different. Who knows if this season we're going to have the type of rain patterns and precipitation patterns and uh, late season heat units that we had last year. So maybe you'll see some of those earlier maturity hybrids that uh, tend to be a little bit more racehorse early off in the season perform a little bit better. And so you learn everything. Every time uh, you get to the end of a season, you have new things that you've learned. And I also think about, you know, um, Mother Nature tends to throw at us a new curveball every single year. Um, You know, seven, eight years ago, we weren't even thinking about tar spot and our need to manage for it. And who knows what seven, eight years down the road, what we will be thinking about and managing for then. Yeah. How many answer plots are there in Wisconsin? Do you know offhand? Yeah, there's currently seven answer plots in the state of Wisconsin. I know at its peak, there was over 200 answer plots nationwide. I'm not sure what that number is at today. The answer plot is just a really powerful tool. I, I wish we could explain on this a little bit better about it, but it's there's so many factors that go into it and mm. so many trials that go into it. You can't even can't even put a mark on how much data comes out of that and how powerful the data is because it's replicated. Absolutely. Winfield United would not be the company that we are without the answer plot system. This was something that was developed very early on um, in when Winfield was coming together and it was utilized to help make sure that our agronomic recommendations are legitimate. And that we understand these products as best as they can possibly be understood. Those answer plots consist of anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20, 30, 40 acres of research. And it's very well tended. It's um, heavily focused on. There's a whole answer plot crew 
that um, takes care of all the planting and harvesting and management of that. And uh, we're able to get very precise data coming out of there. Um, when we look at uh, the data that's produced by the answer plots, uh, the LSDs that are coming off, which basically tell us how reliable the data is, it's very low numbers, uh, lower than any other type of agronomic research that's out there in the marketplace. And um, that tells us that this is very pinpointed, accurate information, and so we can make really confident recommendations from it. Um, and then along with that, uh, every year we have the opportunity to go out to the showcases at those answer plots for the best classroom in the world where we get to have that hands-on learning and get to see firsthand what are the different things going on out here in the plots. How do I understand, you know, whether it's herbicide mode of actions or um, different planting depths or um, different seed treatments and fungicide behaviors, all that sort of stuff. It's really a wonderful, wonderful tool that we get to utilize. Yeah, the answer plots are pretty powerful. I mean, I've I've taken growers that I work with out to them. Um, there's so much going on that if you really want to kind of hone in on one thing, um, you get, you know, hands-on, you're right out in the middle of it. Um, I think it's a really good thing that, that they got going there. And I appreciate that it's really open to the public. I mean, in a, mm-hmm. in a likewise way, you'd like to be with your customer when you're out there, but it's really for growers to go out there and experience and and look through these trials and understand the different management styles and how these hybrids are are behaving in them yeah absolutely i always it's interesting to me with the growers that we do bring out there we take them through the the showcase that's in the front of the plot and we have the opportunity to teach them a little bit with the visual demonstrations and they think wow that was pretty neat. I'm glad I got to have that experience, you know. And then we tell them, well, actually, there's another 15, 20, 30 acres behind the showcase, and that's where we actually get the data from. The showcase is there for you to rip apart and have the opportunity to look at all these different demonstrations, but back behind that is where the real moneymaker is, uh, where we very closely manage all these different trials. Um, Even I'm really not allowed to go back in those plots and tear anything up because it would throw off the data. And so it's really cool when you see their face and they're like, oh, I had no idea. You know, I thought it was just this upfront showcase. Actually, there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really helped us develop trends, I think. that's that's Trends are really powerful. And when you can ride the wave high on a trend – and come out on the on the positive end of it. I mean, just it's a good experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to conclude another episode of the Modern Agronomist. We want to thank Grant Kemick for coming out from Winfield United, and stay tuned for more.